Welcome, everybody. Me Dwelle Podcast, episode 22 with Eric Olson. We're grateful for the time he's spent with us. Just a short introduction before we get to all of his great advice about Lodija. Uh, Eric has been a huge part of the team for the last 15 years. We're grateful to Eric for his sponsorship, his leadership, and everything that he does to mentor younger riders on the team. He's one of our first class of yellow jersey wearers and is just a true leader in every sense of the word, both in the community and on the team. Grateful for Eric, grateful for his leadership, and thankful to spend just a few minutes with him talking about um, how he views cycling, everything that he does in his life that makes cycling possible, what he's learned from cycling, and especially what he's learned at Lodija. He's got a pretty interesting and uh, very enlightening perspective on how to train and how to race, and how to be part of this great sport. So all of our thanks to Eric. Uh, Thanks to each of you for being part of the team. We've got kit pickup coming up. I make a short announcement about that at the beginning of the podcast, so pay attention to that. Um, That'll be at Sugar House Park on um, June 8th. It's right around the corner, so uh, get excited. We'll do a team picture. Um, So that's it. We're going to roll into the podcast. Thanks to everybody. Uh, grateful for you and, and thankful for this awesome team that we're part of. All right. Bye. All right. Welcome, everybody. What's up? Uh, Me Dwelle podcast. Grateful to have you with us. We're joined today by the general Eric Olson. Grateful to have you, Eric. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, Jake's here and Spence is here. And before we get started with Eric, just a quick announcement about kits. So Sugarhouse Park at the Olympus Pavilion, not hard to find. Uh, do not wear a white kit, do not wear a black kit, do not wear a yellow kit, do not wear a kit from 2015, do not wear a kit from 2018. I will politely ask you to not be in the picture. A 2021 red kit. If you don't have one, dude, people have them. So if you want to be in the picture and don't have one, we'll just figure out a way to get you in a red kit. So don't not come if you don't have one. We'll figure out a way to get you in one of Jake's double XL jerseys. Don't be that guy or girl wearing the mix and match, okay? We've been very clear. We've got Adam Barker lined up to get a photo, and it's going to be great. Dude, ABP Photography is going to be there. So um, we'll do kits. We'll have some new hats, socks, um, and then sponsors. Chip and I are working on sponsors being there. So it should be fun. Uh, should be a good night together outside, and it's a beautiful place. So anyway, that's it. Um, anything else? Did I miss anything? No, no. Writing's in full effect. So well, I I copy and pasted Eric's bio from his website, and I just I can't do it. It's too much. It's so, Eric. It's just robust. I I might just even ask you what you do for work rather than trying to describe <laughs> your your life. But Eric is a he's Generation One Yellow Jersey, which is so awesome. Um, he's one of the prime leaders on the team. We looked Eric for man, just friendship, mentorship. Uh, even as a um, a financial supporter, as a sponsor of the team, he's a, a a skilled mountain biker, road rider, tactician when it comes to Lota Joe, which is what we're going to talk about a little today. Um, and then some of the fun things that he does that I love to watch, just like the adventure rides that he goes on and just embracing what this team is all about. Um, he's modeled it for years and years. He trains smart, but he's also uh, into suffering. Like Eric knows how to freaking me duele, me duele. He knows how to suffer for the team. Uh, just, I love riding with Eric. He's one of the first, uh, me dwellers that I ever met along with Chris and he's an advocate for everything that this team stands for. So grateful to have you, Eric, and, um, happy to spend a, a few minutes here talking to you about your experience on the cycle team. So welcome. Thanks, Stu. Good to be here. Will you talk just a little bit about your life, like what you do? Um, you're, I know you're super busy and with family, career, and everything, but will you just kind of let everybody know what you do? Uh, yeah, I'm an attorney here in Salt Lake City. I, I do business litigation, specializing in trial work and uh, business breakup. So uh, that tends to be these days family business divorces. So you've got a family business, people are blowing up and they're starting to hate each other and distrust each other. That's when I get involved. Uh, So I do a lot of messy work. I do a lot of trials and it makes for a real busy, busy life. Uh, I also have my hand in 
uh, a bunch of different volunteer things. I, I'm on the state charter school board. Uh, I volunteered at uh, at a charter school in my neighborhood for the last 15 years. And um, I've been a volunteer small claims judge dispensing justice at the Salt Lake City Justice Court. Um, I, that is a uh, great that is a great phrase, dispensing <laughs> justice. <laughs> yeah, I did that for a little while. And uh, and then I volunteer as a soccer coach. Uh, I teach a class for law students up at the University of Utah Law School. So I got a few extracurricular activities that keep me busy. So as, as much as I, I can, I'm trying to sneak out on the bike and get some get some fitness in, clear my mind with all the stress and worry and heavy things I've got to deal with a, around the day at the office. What about how you ride? You know, uh, you're always out. We always see you. How does that work? You know, you've got to fit it in. And when, when you're raising kids and you're busy with work and a bunch of other things, you've got to get really creative about when you're when you're riding bikes. And so oftentimes, uh, like all you guys know, it's it's early, early in the morning. And I can remember those Saturday rides where we'd get up at four, four thirty just to try to sneak in an extra long ride before we had to get back for soccer games. Yeah. And that's just that's just what you what you have to do. And then we've got notes here, 10 loaded just starts, 10 finishes. We're going to talk about that in a sec, but I really like this next phrase. In the spirit for the podium every time. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, in the sprint. In the sprint for the oh, podium the sprint. every Sorry. time. So I, yeah, first, first let, me, let me make just a few disclaimers that I, that I think are important. Okay. I, I, weigh two, I weigh 200 pounds. Okay. So I, if there were a Clydesdale category... <laughs> as there are in, in running races, which I used to do back in the day, I'd be in that category. And man, I'd hope to win that category every time. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, cycling is for the little guys. And uh, so as a big guy, and as a big guy who's really busy, I don't log a ton of miles each year. Mm. I, and we can come back to this a little bit more, but I, I typically show up to load a jaw with about uh, about 1,200 miles under my belt that year, which is not a lot at all. As you guys know, you're, you're two, three, four times that typically. And so writing for me is about being smart with the time that I have. Uh, but when I do show up at Loda Jaw, again, another disclaimer, I, I, I'm a Cat 5 guy. You know, I'm not showing up with you know, 5,000 miles under my belt ready to go compete with the pros, uh, or, you know, even with, uh, you know, the cap fours, I, I tend not to be. And, and what I found in low to John, we can get into this more a little bit later is every, every competitive start pack is going to have two, three, four guys who can throw down just a blistering fast time. Every pack is going to have that unless you're with the cyclo sportive dudes and, and you never know what you're going to get out of that. Uh, so I, I tend to race cat fives in low to job and, uh, all the ultra competitive guys on the squad are off doing other categories, but, uh, I found a nice formula that works for me that keeps it competitive. that keeps me motivated and typically gets me a good solid time coming out of low to job. So, so the, the training you're going to hear about today, again, with that disclaimer, it's not the training that you're going to hear about from Dave Sharp or any of the other masters that we've got on our cycling team. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit unconventional, but that's what I hope to get into a little bit today. Nice. Okay. Now this is extremely, this next section, very important. Eric speaks fluent Italian. So we're going to have a little lesson <laughs> about the team name before we, before we move on. Give it to us. <laughs> All right. Let me geek out a little bit on this. So, <laughs> so speaking Italian, when, when I first hooked up with me Duole years ago, I, I thought, how about that to take a team name that is old school Italian? So me Duole is not a phrase that you're ever going to hear on the street in Italy today. It's old school Italian. I'm talking uh, biblical Italian, Dante's Divine Comedy 
uh, old school poetry, that, that's when you're going to hear the, the, this sort of language. And so mi duole comes from the verb, uh, the Italian verb dolere. And dolere is, is uh, and I, I included in my notes in Italian, the, the definition, it's to do harm to someone. Mm. To provoke a physical suffering to someone or something. Um, and uh, the related noun is dolore, which is a sensation of physical suffering. So intense physical pain. <laughs> and so, you know, English just doesn't really do justice to uh, old school Italian words like this. And so, so the reason this is so important and, and the reason it plays into my training and who we are really as a team is to learn how to race bikes. You've got to learn how to suffer. Okay. And, and it's not, again, when you translate loosely me duole to I suffer, it just doesn't do the word real justice. It's no, it, it's, it's not, I suffer. It's, this causes me to suffer intense physical pain and agony. That really is what the word means. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's who we are, right? That, that's what we do. And that's how we prepare ourselves to be successful on a bicycle is we have to learn how to suffer intense physical pain and agony and, and how to push through it. That, that's what we do. That's who we are. And that's the beauty of the name of our team. Ooh, that is money. We can that stop was there. So good. That Great was podcast, guys. fantastic. Man, where, where was he on episode one? We should have had him first he, up. Let's go. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to turn out one more little item here about your uh, BFR, and then we'll turn it over to Chip for a sec. Tell us about BFR. Uh, so, so BFR again, we'll sanitize this for the young people listening, it means big fun ride. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is a creation of, of Chris Peterson many, many years ago. Chris, as you know, is just one of the champions of this team and just a pinnacle of the local cycling community. And Chris is the one that introduced me to a road bike years ago. Uh, when I started riding bikes, he, he put me on his old red specialized that had a, a, a sexy pose of some soft porn woman on the stem just to keep mm -hmm. you motivated when you're riding his bike. <laughs> yes. and, and, and so Chris, he introduced me to cycling and he's probably introduced, I don't know how many other mm -hmm. dozens of people into cycling. And, and he really is, is just one of my, one of my heroes. Uh, so Steve created, excuse me, Chris created this thing called the BFR. And the idea is to come up with some long, excruciating, around-the-clock, self-supported bike ride, as long and as stupid, and as Chris will say, that's stupid with a double O, as long and stupid as you could possibly come up with. <laughs> and that's been a bit of a tradition over the years uh, of, of coming up with some long BFR in the summertime. And, and there's no better training for low-to-jaw than going out on some long, stupid ride like that. And I'm not talking just, you know, 100, 100 miles on a Saturday morning or taking on two or three canyons. It's got to be through the night. It's got to be at least a couple hundred miles. And it's got to involve some sort of intense suffering along the way for it really to matter. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't matter um, so, so we've done it over the years a few different ways. Uh, we, we've ridden our bikes to West Yellowstone in the rain. We've ridden our bikes to St. George or from St. George to Salt Lake. And uh, I'm not talking along I-15. I'm, I'm talking finding all the mountain passes along the way and, and just making it as painful as possible. And it's, uh, it, it's been the, the best load of jaw training that, 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 uh, really, I, I've ever had. When, when I've had a BFR in the summertime, it's had me primed and ready to go for low to jaw when September rolls around. Because when you're out, you know, when, when you're putting in 400 miles in 24 hours or whatever it may be, it, it will just prime your body to be able to suffer. And most importantly, 
to understand that if you can just get through the next half hour, the next hour, the next 20 or 50 miles, your body that feels like garbage is going to start feeling better. Uh, it goes back to the, uh, that, that great George Harrison album that he put out after he ditched the Beatles, All Things Must Pass. And uh, that, that really is my mantra when I'm out on a long suffering ride is I know that when I feel like crap, if I can keep eating and drinking, I'll get through it and it'll be just fine. And, and that, that's something I've learned on these big, long, stupid rides. And it's worked in low to jaw every single time. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> it's an elite group of people uh -huh. that are that stupid. We, yep. we can't, you can't, I don't think you qualify, Jake. Jake wants to sign up because on the outline here I'm looking at, it says that in this BFR, there's spooning in a ditch in a hailstorm on the way to Milford. <laughs> what, what is <laughs> beautiful? <laughs> what is that? So good. Well, we, so, so the route that, uh, that, that Chris tends to come up with, uh, it takes you out in no man's land in the middle of, in the middle of South, west utah west and central utah and we we had an experience one time it was a gorgeous day and uh we're cruising along from delta to milford on this straight road that follows the railroad tracks and you don't see a soul for hours and it started to get dark and then a hailstorm came in it crept over the mountains and just wiped us out and i think a couple of us were spooning in the ditch and uh, i was standing there and we're all in our skivvies. We're wearing Lycra spandex. <laughs> and I'm standing there with my bike, trying to hold my bike up in the air to shield me from the hailstorms. <laughs> and my body's getting pelted with hailstones. And all I've got is my bike to protect me. And uh, I, I should have been spooning in the ditch with the other guys who were protecting each other. But instead, I was protecting myself with my bicycle. So the hailstorm passes through and then we got back on our bikes and just kept pedaling the rest of the way. So we've had some crazy, stupid experiences. I mean, going to West Yellowstone where it rained the entire time we rode bikes through the night, you're trying to stay awake and it's raining. Um, uh, that's, that's one of the most awful, but uh, actually entertaining experiences that I've had. You got, you got to watch, Peterson eat the regurgitated Advil. I mean, I, I, yes, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> desperate yeah, times call for talk, desperate he measures. About it, he talked about it when he was on. So. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Um, Eric, um, when I started, uh, man, it's been it's been over 15 years. And like you mentioned, uh, Chris Peterson, he, he introduced me on the team, but you were his uh, sidekick. And I got to know you in the very beginning. And um, one thing, one place where I learned how to train and enjoyed training with Eric and with Chris was Mill Creek Canyon. And as you talk to Eric, um, he mentioned earlier that he doesn't show up to the end of the season with a lot of miles logged. However, they're very smart miles and Mill Creek Canyon is one place where Eric knows how to train and spends a lot of time in, in Mill Creek Canyon. Um, talk about that a little bit, uh, Eric, how, um, convenient yet how, um, on point that is for your, your training each year? Yeah, good question. Mill Creek is key to my training. Mill Creek's in our backyard. Uh, it's, it's, it's our favorite. It's, it's the pet canyon. Uh, you know, it's, it's an hour up and uh, much less than that down, uh, but it's, it's a tough hour if you want to make it tough. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when I started riding that with Chris Peterson, his whole shtick was the sprintervals uh, so turning it into fartlek or uh, interval training workout by sprinting up all the climbs all the way up that that's how i started doing it uh, with peterson and some of the, some of the old guard on the team 
And, and it's, it's turned out to the, the best, it's turned into the best training you could possibly have to, to have, have a Canyon. That's, that's got that much variety. It's not just purely uphill like little cottonwood where you just kind of suffer up it the whole time. And, um, you know, it's, it's steeper in places than you're going to find. And, you know, it's much steeper than emigration, for example, which is just kind of a, you know, just let's get up it as fast as we can. Mill Creek has the variety that allows you to really sprint up in sections and doing that twice a week, you know, typically Tuesday, Thursdays, that's just the go-to for me for my weekday rides. I do it a couple times a week. And when I hit Mill Creek, I hit it hard. Uh, I try to get as much out of it as I can, whether I'm doing a sprint sort of workout or whether I'm just pounding up it as, as hard and as fast as I can. And that strengthens the legs uh, better than just about anything. And, and you've, you know, if you want to add to the pain, like I did this morning, uh, just, just, you know, branch up Porter fork and, oh. and that's, that's a, that's a painful add on, uh, or go do Mill Creek a couple times. Um, so it, it really is the, just the perfect all around cycling workout. It doesn't get any better than Mill Creek Canyon. Yeah. Um, those Tuesday, Thursdays were what I would look most forward to getting to know the group and uh, riding with you, Eric. So um, I've, those are near and dear to me. And, and I, and on that same note, um, the mentors, the friends, the memories that we talk about, I mean, here, here we are all kind of laughing about these experiences and these tough days and, and uh, we have Snodeja listed here as as a <laughs> as an event that took place. Um, Eric, share with us what the team has meant to you um, over the years that you've been riding with this group. Well, the, t the team has has meant so much. It's a group of good folks, men and women, who work hard, who train hard, who race hard but who are just great people. And, uh, you know, as we, we've got a lot of folks on the team and we, we don't see everybody all the time. There are lots of little subgroups within the team. There's a nice spot you can find to hook up with some folks who, who, you know, can, can, kind of meet your training schedule and your training goals. Um, but that, that really is the motivation uh, this morning, I, I didn't I didn't hit my bike until seven thirty. <laughs> the reason is there wasn't anything going on. Hmm. I was lazy, and I, I dragged myself out the door. Uh, what keeps me motivated is when I've got teammates to get out and ride with, and uh, that that's what gets me out of bed at stupid early hours in the morning. <laughs> and even in the winter time, I, one of the beautiful things about this team is you got guys like you guys. So, so Stu sends out an email or a text saying, Hey, I, I'm going to pick up a bunch of uh, Wahoo kickers. If anybody <laughs> wants one, I got a smoking deal. And uh, how many kickers did you unload that, that year? So, uh, like 25, 30, 40. In the last two years, we've sold over 60. Oh, so you get the whole team out on Zwift and you show up for a Zwift team ride and virtually, <laughs> virtually, just like on the road, you see Dave Sharp right when it gets steep, stand up. You actually see him on your TV screen, just like in real life, just like when it steps up in any Canyon ride, you see Dave Sharp go get out in the front of the pack. He stands up and everybody tries to chase him and hang on. And, and there's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have that camaraderie and competitiveness, even on your TV screen. So kudos to you guys to make that happen. We've even got a yellow Jersey now, Eric on Zwift. That's, virtually. that's so awesome. Yep. That's so cool. So rad. Uh, that is awesome, Eric. Let's let's transition into into Lodija and um, and Eric Eric starting out in uh, in two thousand seven. 
Yeah, so I heard about Loda Jaw from uh, from Dave Sharp and, and Chris, uh, Todd Harris, and so, some of those guys that did the Snowda Jaw year of 2005. And, and I heard crazy stories about ambulances pulling people off the road who are hypothermic. And I, I listened to all these stories and I thought, Man, count me in. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I've been doing, uh, I've been doing ultras, and I've I've been running. I had some knee and back injuries, and was needing to get out of something else or get into something else. I mean, two hundred pounds uh, on the trail as a runner is is not a great idea. So I, I thought I'd, I'd try out the bike after hearing those snow to jaw stories and. And so I started out in the High Uintas Classic going and doing the Camas to Evanston race, which is an awesome race that I guess they don't do anymore. And that got me started. And, and I signed up for Loda Jaw in 2007. That, that was my first Loda Jaw. And I'd heard all these stories about it. I was really nervous about what was going to happen. And I, I, was, uh, I got some great tips from, from Dave Sharp on nutrition and hydration and feed zones and deal with all that. And I put days and days of planning in it only for race day to come around. And all my times that I told my wife were completely wrong. And she ended up missing me at every single feed zone the whole oh day. <laughs> and so it turned into just, I, I wouldn't say self-supported, but it, you, you're going into the neutral feed zones. You're hopping off your bike, filling up your own water bottles. It was kind of a nightmare, but I managed to chase back on and stay with our lead group and uh, ended up having a, having a good finish all in all. I was excited about it. And that got me excited to keep trying out load a job. And then last year you got your, I mean, you've done 10, right? right. Okay. Um, if you were going to describe maybe uh nutrition. I think you've already talked about distance and intensity, but if you wanted to add any more there, you've got some notes about distance and how you train, but what about nutrition when it comes to the race? Yeah. So on, 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 on training distance and intensity are key. You, you, you don't, you, I know a lot of people would disagree with this, but you, you don't have to have thousands of miles under your belt to prepare yourself for a race. If you're training smart, you, you need to make sure that you're getting as much as you can out of rides and you can still enjoy the social ride. You, you don't, you don't have to be so aggro that you don't talk to people when you ride a bike or you're always trying to beat your friends. Uh, no one, no one loves riding with someone like that, but find opportunities to really pound it and, and add a lot of intensity to your rides and, and make sure for low to jaw that you're, you're riding uphill. Uh, if, if you're looking for a suffering ride and you're going to go out and you know, do one of these, you know, hundred milers around the lake or something good for you, but it's, it's not going to help you prepare for low to jaw really at all. You've got to pedal uphill to be ready for that race. But on the nutrition side, um, what, what I learned in my trail running days is to, is to practice eating and drinking while working out. And to, tr and to practice doing it all the time and to eat and drink real food. Um, you know, if you go out and pay someone or if you race, if you're that manly or that, that studly, uh, the Wasatch 100, you'll, you'll get to feed zones and you're eating red potatoes. You're eating, you know, chicken noodle soup or broth. You're, you're eating real food the whole time. And I've tried to apply that to, to cycling and, it, and it's, made a, it's made a big difference. Just training your body to be able to eat regular food all the time and to drink all the time and be able to put it down. Mm. Some people have systems where that just doesn't seem to work that well, but to succeed in a long race, you, you gotta be able to eat and drink like crazy. And I found that, that eating regular food makes a big difference. And that's part of what we do in BFR is we're stopping at gas stations and eating. Well, I'm the one that's eating hot dogs. I, no, no one else is stupid enough to do that, but uh, chips and cookies and drinks and hard boiled eggs and yogurt and all those other things you'll find in a gas station uh, are, are, are great when you're out riding a bike and you got to be able to do that because there comes a time that one more gel, one more, 
one more goo is going to make you puke. So you got to be able to eat good food and do it all the time. Nice. That's awesome. Eric, didn't you have a, like a special drink you used to drink on Loda Joe? I remember when we were riding together the one year, you were saying like tomato something. Was it <laughs> something you like to drink? Yeah. So what, what I tend to drink um, in, in the bottles, I'll, I'll do I'll do water. Uh, typically toward the end of the race, I'll, I'll do a little bit more water than I would in the beginning. And then whatever energy drink you, you like, and everyone's got their own preference there. But typically when I get to a feed zone, rather than pound more energy drink, or I'm sorry, more, um, you, you know, whether it's some sort of Gatorade based drink or, um, you know, any of the other fancy formulas that are out there, uh, I try to drink, uh, when I hit a feed zone, uh, one caffeine, either Coke or Red Bull, two milk. I try to get a milk down in every feed zone and I try to get a V8. V8. That's what it and was. V, V8 is, is, is the magic for me on a, on a long ride. It's, it always goes down nice and smooth. It's got a ton of sodium in it. It really doesn't have many calories at all, but on a long ride, man, it just, it, calms the stomach, smooths things out. And so often that, that'll be what I'll have in my back pocket coming out of the feed zone that I'll save up for a little bit later. That's good. Nice. Yeah. I remember we were riding just, we just descending down strawberry and then you'd cut up and you're like, oh, I just had a, had a quick V8 drink real quick. That's the, that's my pride and joy. That's my secret sauce. So nice. <laughs> it is, it's worked out. Yeah. It's worked out very, very well. And so what I, what I tend to do coming out of the feed zone is I try to drink as much as I can before everybody gets rolling again. And if I can get, of those three drinks, if I can get even two of them down right out of the feed zone, and the thought of mixing Red Bull V8 and milk all at once sounds pretty <laughs> disgusting, but man, it's, it's miraculous, I, I tell you. So I'll try to get at least two of those down and save the third one in my back pocket. Uh, for just a little bit later in the ride. I'm going to name the podcast Red Bull V8 and Milk. <laughs> weird things must come out of this BFR ride too. I mean, you guys must just try some weird concoctions or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do that. We I, do that. I want V8 in a bottle. I want to actually see you just. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a miracle. It's That's a miracle awesome. cure. I'm telling you, you'll love it. Try it. Oh, it's great. Well, let's, uh, you know, I get to talk about race tactics, obviously, with you, uh, Eric, and I've had the pleasure of racing with you one year, experiencing it, you know, firsthand, the joy of what it is to race with the legend or the general Eric Olson. So um, let me paint this picture for you. So we're obviously it's I think it's it was 2000. um, Was it 18? No, 17. It was 17. 17. And uh you know, I show up to the start line. I'm all ready. I'm, I'm, you know, talking with my, my brother. And then, you know, we find out that Eric's in our group and Eric, like all of a sudden he brings us all together. He gets us in a little huddle. There's probably four of us maybe. And he just starts like, Hey, we got to watch this guy. We've got to watch this guy. We've got, this guy's really fast. I've looked him up. And so he started painting this picture for us. And I'm like, dang, I didn't, I didn't even, even think of looking these guys up on Strava, like doing research on them, but come to find out during the whole ride, Eric is just talking about these guys and, you know, soon to, to let it happen. These guys who he was pointing out at the very beginning of the race, you know, actually took one, two, three. So, um, it was, uh, we, as my brother and, and us over the years have talked, we've seen Eric and interact with him. We've kind of dubbed him the general. And, uh, as the general name has come about, uh, you know, we've, <laughs> we've loved talking about the general and using some of his terms as we've raced for Lodija you know, the last couple of years as well, too. So Eric, tell me a little bit, tell me this general um, aspect of, of how you go about things with Lodija and, and race tactics, especially, um, you know, when you talk about knowing your group, getting to know everybody and, and things like that. Talk about this, this general mentality as you go into to Lodija. Thanks, Jake. That's kind of you. And man, it was a blast racing Lodija with you that year. That was so much fun. The way I try to look at it, one, you've got to be the boss. You, you've <laughs> got to learn. You've got to learn to be a boss without being a total jerk. Because when, when you get in a race like that, 
And, and again, every category and every star pack is a little bit different. Sometimes you're racing with a bunch of jerks and it makes everything just horrible. You know, they're not willing to do any work and they're just looking for an opportunity to screw you over. And um, th those years are the hard load of jaw years. You just hate races like that. So you want to be a boss. And the reason that's important is if you can have someone step up and just take control of the group, give, give instructions, rally people to perform, um, it's just going to make it better for everybody. And, you know, I've, I've had examples, you know, back in the old days, uh, I, I like to rally the whole start pack for a pee break, even going into Preston. And, and I, I was, until the race organizers got real agitated about it, it was pretty cool to be able to get 50 guys all together to stop for a pee break. And it took going up and down the line and just, you know, barking out orders at people and rallying the group to do that. And that's the kind of thing that, that I found um, made for great, great race years when you've got the ability to exert a little bit of authority and pressure and encouragement to the whole group and rally them even though it's a bunch of guys that don't know each other. So I try to show up for the race knowing everybody who matters. And so I, 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 I kind of anal that way. I'll, I'll just research who's in the pack. And in some of the categories, you, you know who you're up against. You know, all the veterans on the team, they know they're going to have to deal with, with Schaefer in that Masters 60-plus category. Um, Typically in the cat fives, it's a different group each year, but there's some, some people that surface every year. So I, I want to know who the real players are going in because 90% of them are not, and you don't really have to worry about them. And then you hook up with those guys, get to know them and spend some time with them and uh, build a little bit of rapport and camaraderie going into the race because you're going to be hanging out with them all day. And if you can be the boss and rally, you can encourage the group to work together, work hard and get the best possible time. And you get to the end and yeah, it's each man for himself, but try to try to be friendly enough and show some leadership and it'll be, make it for a great day for everybody. And sometimes that involves yelling at people who are idiots. <laughs> and I had that happen last year where there, there was a guy that right in the first feed zone in, in Montpelier, we've got, you know, typically at that point, you, you, you want to have your, your pack whittled down to five to 10 guys. And there was a guy that decided to attack in that feed zone. So he goes blazing ahead when all the rest of us are stopping, which you do. And uh, when, I, when I hit a feed zone, no more than 10, 15 seconds, I put a foot down. My wife, who's my support and is amazing, notwithstanding our snafu that first year, she spreads all my food out on the pavement right in front of me. She swaps out my bottle. She dumps out a ton of food because I, I don't know what I'm going to be in the mood for till I get there. I grab a bunch of food. After emptying my pockets, I hit the road, thank my wife, tell her I love her. And I, I move on and hit the road. And, and this first feed zone, the dude's already up the road. So we go chase him down and we get the group back together. I cuss him out about attacking the feed zone. I just let him have it. And, uh, you know, this was with Todd Racker and some other guys last year. And I, I think Todd probably heard me and I hope he wasn't offended like the rest <laughs> of the guys may have been seeing some of those words come out of my mouth. But the guy was super apologetic and later in the day, we were able to kiss and make up and actually had a nice ride together. But sometimes you just got to you got to be the boss and, and throw down a little bit of authority to rally the group to race the right way. That's, that's and great. it works out. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I remember I remember a few times just in the Peloton, you'd ride up to the front, tell the guys to pull back a little bit. I mean, he's if you've ever seen I, I would if you can ever race with Eric and Lodija, please, it is the most fun just be a sponge and soak it all up. There's, there's one more, more story I like to share. And Eric, you can remember this is we we're just about to start the strawberry climb. And, you know, obviously you flatted, right. And you pull over to, Hey Jake, I flatted, but he's, you, you said this one thing, 
I'll catch you guys in, in Montpelier. And I was like, there's no way he's going to catch us in Montpelier. <laughs> We're no joke two miles out from Montpelier. Here comes Eric right behind us. And he, he caught up to the group. He closed this gap, which I could not believe he did it alone. I mean, I, I wasn't there watching you, you know, close the gap. But to me, it was just, it was a beautiful thing to see. Guy go down flat and then catches back up right before Montpelier. And uh, it was just something special to see. So thanks, Eric. Uh, that was cool. That was a fun day. Uh, that was a that was a fun day. That's my that's my second loadage off flat, and they always come at the worst time. But you know that that climb up Strawberry, it's not a hard climb. It's not that steep. It's kind of long, um, but that's the kind of climb. You know, the four to six percent is the climb that suits my strengths. Uh, my problem in loadage is when you get to the seven to nine percent climb, like you've got over Salt River. That, that's the one that causes me a lot of difficulty because at my size and with the amount of training I do, it's, it's really tough to hang with everybody going over Salt River. Yeah. So what's your plan? Is, are you thinking to yourself, I got 100 miles to catch? Is that kind of the strategy? Yeah. I, last year, I wasn't able to catch the guys Um Todd and uh, a guy named Mark Smith, who's just a, an incredible racer. I, I raced with him several years ago in Lodajah. Uh, we're, we're in the pack coming over Salt River, and, and I just couldn't catch him. Uh, and, and it was the first time I, I wasn't able to catch uh, the, the main group coming off of Salt River. Typically, I can catch him by the time we get to Afton. Uh, one year, I had a, I had a tandem bike passed me by coming off of salt river and man it was it was like an answer to prayers they were going so stinking fast and i was back to the group in no time it was such a special special day so sometimes you have good luck sometimes you have bad luck but for me uh if, if i can get if i can stay with the pack into star valley i'm set because with yeah. all the rollers at my size, I can, I can just pound it the last hundred miles. Just be the boss. Be the boss. Be the That's boss. right. Be the boss. All right. Any more feed zone tips? You've got some good stuff here. Y yeah. You, you've just got to, um, it, it takes a lot of planning, but at the same time, you, you don't need to do crazy stuff like musette bags. You can find a way to, to make feed zones super quick. You, you shouldn't spend more than a half minute in a feed zone. You got to get in and out as quickly as you can. And it may give you an opportunity for a, for a quick pee break coming out of it. If you're super quick going in, yeah. um, you've got to be really careful. Now they, they've, they've made some changes in low to jaw. So starting last year with COVID changes where you've got some, some feed zones where you, you've got the, the competitive racers and the, the, the non-competitive folks all on the same course, some going through the same feed zone, but not necessarily stopping. And we had some, some very close calls coming out of the, one of those last year mm. where we had some cyclosportive guys that were just cutting across and all over the road as we were just trying to get through it. So you got to be careful getting through feed zones. We've had some real injuries, nasty injuries on our team in years past with feed zones. Um, but I try when I hit a neutral feed zone to, to snag as many hand up bottles as I can. That's made a big, big difference to be able to try to get a couple going into those feed zones. If you can get one to two bottles out of a neutral feed zone, you're, you're, you're golden. It's going to give you the fluid you need to get through the race. Nice. All right. Let's, uh, let's come in for a landing here with pitfalls. Yeah. So. So I've had, as I mentioned, I've had two flats in Lodajah. And when that happens, man, you've just got to suck it up and deal with it. My, my first flat was on the way into Preston. And you're in a pack of 50, 60 riders, and you hear that sound coming out of your tire. And you're just devastated. So I, I, I pulled over. I changed it as quickly as I could. And, and early, that early in the race... My hands are bloodied because it's, you know, 35 degrees outside yeah. as I'm changing a tire and my pack's gone. The next pack's gone. The next pack's gone. It seemed like by the time I finally got going, and I just spent the whole day 
just passing people, just completely solo trying to make it work. And every now and then you'll find some folks to hook up with. So the, the, the secret there is to keep a good attitude. Remember, if you work hard, the tough times will pass. You'll be able to get through it. But you got to just battle and, and, and get back. And, and I, I think that year I, I made it back to seventh place. Uh, almost got back to the podium, guys. Didn't quite get it that year. So that, that was my slowest low to jaw and, and a rough one. But it, it happens sometimes. It's important just not to panic, not to quit, but to suck it up, uh, deal, with, uh, deal with the problem and find a way to push through it. Nice. What about, you said, uh, with new, what, maybe that's a good advice here. New tubes, new tires. What do you do right before the race day? So I, I, I think starting loaded job with brand new tires is a bad idea because a new tire is so hard to change. Yeah. And, and unless you're using, uh, unless you're throwing an extra set of wheels in the wagon uh, for, uh, you know, a, a, a real problem, which, which some people do. I've, I've never done that. I've, I've never really seen a need for it. And typically there's someone who can at least stop and help you, uh, which is what happened that year at, at, uh, at Strawberry, Jake, was mm -hmm. there, there was a guy that at least pulled over and was able to pump my tire as I was getting everything back together. That was a, that was a huge help, but I still had to change it on my own. Um, so I try not to go brand new tires. I try to at least have uh, a few rides in my tires, but you definitely don't want to be running the, you know, the, the old Connie 4,000 where you can't read the 4,000 because it's been worn out for all your rides. You, you better make sure that it's, it's a fairly new tire, new tubes. Make sure you've got a couple rides in them at least. And that's going to make a big difference. But flats happen, but they're way less likely to happen if you're smart going in. Dude, Paul Watson even pumps no flat stands in his tubes before the race, <clears throat> like a tiny bit of, of sealant. Yeah, I've heard that. It's a good idea. Uh, every little bit counts. I, I'm, I'm running tubeless now, and that, that's been way, way more reliable, far less likely to, to flat. And going tubeless with a little bit wider tire has been awesome. I, I, I tried that last year in Lodage John. It seemed to make a big difference. Nice. A point of stress, maybe uh, P-breaks. Any advice there? Yeah, so the, the organizers get real, they're, they're getting real tricky that way with P breaks. Uh, my favorite P break is coming out of Preston right before the first big climb out of Preston. Not, not big climb, but you know, that first big hill coming out of Preston a couple miles. Yeah. Uh, we tried that last year. I've, I've done it several times. And you've got enough room since you're going uphill if you stop at the base to be able to chase back on. And and then after that, you know, right out of the Montpelier feed zone, if you can get through that really quickly, it's a nice spot to just pull over on the side of the road before you head up Geneva Summit. Yeah. And um, I, I'm not one of those guys that will wet myself in the chamois on a road bike. I just, I just don't swing that way. Some do, uh, but it's not for me. Uh, I, I prefer my urine to be on the side of the road in the grass or on a tree. What about a diaper? A, what about a yeah, diaper? I, man, I just don't swing that way. Some do, but not. it's just not for me. So so if I can plan those one or two pee breaks, that tends to be enough for the whole race. And then I monitor my fluids that it, it seems to be all right until the finish. Nice. Very good. Hey, well, um, as we wrap up, Eric, we usually ask everybody if they have anything else that they would love to share as, as just advice, you know, general life lessons that you learn from riding a bike. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be cycling advice, but anything that you would share with like a younger group or just what you've learned. Yeah, I, I guess going back to something we said in the very beginning, my advice to the young riders that I see on the team is while it's virtually impossible for people these days with a career, with a family, uh, with recreational activities and fitness 
to have total balance in life, try to make sure that you're not out of whack in any one area, in any one activity in your life. You, again, you're never going to be in balance, but try not to be in, in, out of whack in any one area. And what I mean by that is don't, don't be so all into cycling that you're dropping balls at home, at work. You're not seeing your kids. You're not doing things with your kids. You're not volunteering in your community. Um, there's time for for everything. You just need to be smart about how you fit things in. And every now and then you have to reassess and ask yourself, where am I out of whack in my life? And make a few adjustments in that area. And if you're getting way too many miles on your bike, you're spending way too much time with your guy friends, you know, maybe make, a, make an adjustment here and there and uh, change things up a little bit. And that really is the key to being able to maintain a happy home life and a successful career and to keep yourself fit and, and just generally emotionally healthy and happy. That's, that's what's worked for me. And it's never perfect, but that, that's what keeps me rolling. Money. Amen. Nice, Eric. You're the man, dude. So awesome. Are you riding well, guys, this thanks. Year? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm down to every other year, if, if at all. Um, uh, and I say if at all. I, I'm waiting for one of my kids maybe to drag me into Lodajah or someone else to invite me who really wants to do it. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back out there one of these days. Peterson and uh, Jim Hutton on the team are going for number 20 this year. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, you know, kudos to the veterans, kudos to the young guys who are getting out and doing it. Uh, I'll, I'll be out there again here one of these days, just not this year. Yep. Hey, if you buy the tandem, I'll do it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. One of these days. Bucket one of these bite. days. The Madsen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, get the, I get the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. We really Thanks, appreciate Eric. you, man. You are just the best. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be with you all today. All the best. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric.